Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Missionary Micro Stories podcast, uh, where missionaries come in and share authentic stories that they love, and I know that you will, too. It is six questions in about nine-ish minutes, because we all know that without a timeline, missionaries can get awfully long-winded. And so today, we are joined by Brother Mead, and I am excited to have you on. Thanks for being here. It is a blessing to be here and a privilege to be here. Thank you so much. Well, we're super excited. And again, I appreciate you getting up so early in the morning to meet with me. So I understand. Of course. Well, let's hop right into it then with question number one. And I'm excited to hear a little bit about you and your family and your field. Yeah, my name is Joshua Mead, of course. And my family and I are missionaries in Senegal, West Africa. We've been on the field for a little over 10 years. Uh, I come from Michigan, my wife is from Canada, and uh, we have three children. And we are serving in an area here in Senegal where the first missionaries came in about 1976 and uh, spent about five years here before they saw any converts, uh, any, any sort of uh, advancement in the ministry. And then it wasn't until 1990 that the church was actually officially established. And then over time, uh, the church has had its up and downs. Uh, we came back in 2009, officially landed in the country, worked with a veteran missionary, and then um, launched out on our own and started a, a new church plant in another part of the town we live in. And so we've been overseeing that work since then and uh, just been serving and, and seeing the church grow and seeing the Lord do some amazing things. Amen, brother. Well, I'm excited to hear about that. And then just, again, Senegal is not one of those countries I know a ton about. I'm assuming a majority Muslim population. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, so Senegal has several different ethnic groups uh, as a part of the country as a whole. Um, the majority religion is Islam, which makes up the majority of the two largest uh, people groups that are here in our country would follow Islam. Uh, those who follow other religions, there's going to be a small percentage of Catholics, a small percentage of uh, animistic type religions, and then um, the, the percentage of actual uh, believers who would identify as born again believers is like 0.01%, it's a very small percentage of the country of about 12 to 13 million people. Um, very small percentage are believers. Wow, all right. Well, I'm excited to hear about the work that you guys are doing there and I'm grateful to the Lord for it. So um, so then with that, with, with question number two then, for you guys, what's one of the best parts about being in ministry? I would say, especially as working in missions here in this country, um, there's not a lot of, we, we kind of joke around with people. It's, it's a very, it's a desert here. I grew up knowing I was going to be a missionary, uh, since I was 13, I thought I'd be in the jungle somewhere, some sort of tropical type deal. And then God led us to the country of Senegal, uh, which is very deserty, complete opposite of what I ever thought. Uh, so there's not much aesthetic appeal to the country, you know, as a whole, but we love where we're at and God really, wherever he calls you, puts a, a heart and a desire and a passion for where you're at. But I would say what's most exciting and the best part of being a missionary would be uh, seeing the gospel and the power of the gospel from the ground up. We're in a country where 
where we are building on what other missionaries have done. But over the past years, they've seen such, uh, and it's not a reflection of any any missionaries, just that the field is a difficult field and they saw so few results and sacrificed. And we get to build on what they, the seeds they planted, but as well, because there's so few results and it is a very gospel resistant country, we do get to see the gospel from the ground up. Uh, the church is very young here. Um, in a way, it, it's still soil that is hardened and fallow in a lot of ways. And so I think it's exciting uh, to see the gospel. There's a challenge to it, but there's an excitement to it to see the gospel uh, work in a country like Senegal, not having a structure already here to plug into. Uh, mm-hmm. We get to evangelize really in the purest form, just breaking the gospel down to its basic elements. And um, a lot of times there's challenges of that because you're constantly answering the same questions, especially when you're dealing with Islam. Uh, there's only about, you know, there's five or six main, you know, objectives they, uh, they have toward Islam or objections of, of Christianity that Muslims will have. And so um, there's a lot that we uh, answer over and over. But at the same time, we get to see the gospel and the church really grow organically as a result. And uh, so I think that's a, an exciting part. And then as well, just being able to serve God as a family is an amazing part of missions that I don't think you get as much serving the Lord in North America. Um, missions is really a family affair. You get to plug in with your family, spend a lot of time with your family. And I love that part of it as well. For sure. Yeah, definitely on all points. So praise the Lord. Um, then kind of, you may have already kind of touched on some of this, but with question three, what would be one of the more difficult and challenging aspects for you guys uh, that you face on the field? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, living here is is not as big a challenge as we thought with this whole COVID-19 issue. It, it's funny, we when it started happening and everybody was uh, needed to be confined to their house and it was spreading things like that, we never once thought that we need to get back to the States. In fact, where I'm from Michigan, it's worse there than it is here. And so um, it, it's, you know, there are challenges to living here and, and those things you, you get used to eventually, um, power cuts and water cuts and just, you know, everyday life. But I would say uh, more on a personal level, maybe on a spiritual level, even one of the bigger challenges, I think, and the longer on the field, I think it's, it's a bigger challenge is trying to avoid the tendency that I can see creep up in myself and I've seen in other veteran missionaries, which is a tendency to become in some ways indifferent, maybe skeptical to your field and the people you're reaching and even cynical toward the true needs of the people uh, and the physical needs of the people that are around you. Um, We have a system here, it's a tally bay system. Tally bay means disciple. And uh, it's a system where parents will send a child from their family, from surrounding villages and even surrounding countries. And they'll send them here as young as five to our country. And these kids live on the street. They go to a chronic school, uh, but mostly they just beg on the street. And so you see these kids all the time. And it's one of the things that really impacts people the most when they come here. Um, but when you're here for a long time, you kind of get hardened to the fact that these kids are, are in, you know, have a big need. They still need compassion. Mm-hmm. And so I noticed maybe about our fifth year here that 
um, I was starting to not respond as well to those kids constantly being at your uh, side as you're going out on the road, trying to get errands done. And that was one thing I realized I, I really need to seek the Lord's help to keep my heart softened uh, to the needs here. It's good, I think, to become adaptive to the country and really integrate as much as you can, but th at the same time to avoid that cynicism, I think that can creep up uh, from the differences between your own culture and cultures here that, that you don't like. Um, but anyways, I would say, yeah, that might be one. Yeah, definitely. I, that sounds challenging. So I'm grateful for you sharing that. Thank you. Um, then moving on with question four, then, do you have any missionaries that you would say need to be on this podcast to share their stories? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a good friend. We started deputation together. We did, um, uh, we went to candidate school together. His name's Eric Johnson. He's a missionary in Dominican Republic and uh, just doing a tremendous job there. Um, another missionary who's doing a great job here in West Africa is Bob Mack. I was able to visit him uh, about a year ago at our missions uh, field conference. And he's doing a tremendous job in Ivory Coast and really has uh, developed a church ministry and outreach uh, and institute where they are impacting really the entire nation there in uh, Ivory Coast. And so uh, he's a great missionary. And then another missionary that's more, uh, he's in Phnom Penh. I haven't met him in person, but uh, with different outreach ministries we're doing here, some missionary uh, pastor supporting churches put me in contact with him. I follow him on Facebook. His name's Dave Ford, and uh, he's doing a great job in Phnom Penh. And uh, so I, I haven't met him in person, but just following him on Facebook, he's doing a tremendous job in that country. And so those are three guys that I would say recommend uh, you trying to get a hold of and interview for sure. Yeah, I look forward to it. And um, none of them have been recommended yet. So I look forward to trying okay. to get in ho a hold of them and, and uh, seeing if they can get on here. So great. Exactly. All right, then with question five, um, go ahead and take, you know, just a few minutes and tell us a story that you love about your time in, uh, in serving the Lord. Yeah, certainly. Uh, there's so many stories here that we could tell, you know, of, of God at work. Um, especially during this time where uh, everybody's basically confined. There's a curfew enforced at night. Um, a lot of people are online. We have an online ministry uh, where we produce films with our one of our partner pastors, uh, Malik Job. He's a Senegalese, and uh, he puts out different videos that we record and produce. Um, and really, he's reaching through our online ministry. Thousands of people online are watching our videos. He's in contact with dozens of people every day. Uh, sharing the gospel with them personally through uh, uh, social media, WhatsApp, different things like that. Um, and then several people want us to meet in person. So there's all kinds of stories I could tell right now of what God's doing. I think when we first got here, maybe two years into it, uh, there was another missionary who was from Brazil, a Baptist missionary. He was attending our church and then eventually launched out on his own church plant. One of the first young men who were influenced in his ministry to get saved was a young man from a Muslim family. Um, he came to his clinic through the contact of a, a another man in his church who invited him to come study the Bible. He was interested in scriptures, but of course with his family um, being Islamic, he didn't want to have a Bible in his home. And so he would kind of do some secret Bible studies. Uh, and then he came to the clinic and one of the ways they had their clinic set up was you'd go and visit the doctor and then on your way out, they would pray for you and ask God uh, to heal you if it was God's will. And 
kind of use that as a testimony. And so use medical and at the same time, try to reach them spiritually and uh, offered him a Bible again. And he, he refused at that time. He was pretty ill. Uh, but by the time he got home, it, he was completely better, he said. And so he knew that God had done something special by answering their prayers. And so that evening he bowed his knee and uh, trusted Christ as a savior. Well, there's a lot of details into it, but long story short, uh, his dad kicked him out of his house. In fact, his dad threatened to burn down the, where they were meeting for church. He said, if you don't stop going to church, I'm going to burn down this church. And he asked the pastor uh, who I was close with, he said, you know, pastor, I, I want to keep going to church here, but my dad said he's going to burn down the church. His dad said, well, go ahead. Or uh, the pastor said, go ahead and let him burn down the church. You know, uh, it, it's, it's no problem. Just keep coming. And uh, this young man named Gabriel, he said, well, I don't want to burn down the church. What do you mean? And he said, well, we don't rent the building. We, we rent the building from a, another Muslim. And so if he wants to burn it down, he's not hurting us. <laughs> you know, and so long story short, his dad ended up sending him because uh, he was still about 17 or 18 at that time. And so at that age, he's still in the home. Um, even though he'd been kicked out, the dad asked him if he would go visit a family member. So they put him in a taxi and ended up taking him to what they call the holy city here of Tuba, which is kind of like the Mecca of Senegal. And uh, they have a process. A lot of times with young people who get saved, they'll take them to the city, their family. They'll pay a religious leader to deconvert them or reconvert them back to Islam. And so the religious leader said, give me one month. I'll have them praying again, uh, carrying a Quran again. And so... Um, a month went by and we hadn't heard from this young man. We didn't know what had happened to him. He was finally able to get a phone and he explained that um, he was locked in a room. Um, they would blare loud music and chanting and, and the guy would come in, the religious leader, and try to do uh, pour holy water on him, do all these weird things to try to get him to reconvert. And he said, don't worry. He said, every time when they ask me if I'm coming back to Islam, I tell them, you know, there's nothing I can do to change. Jesus is in my heart now. And uh, we encouraged him, go ahead and just wait the, the one month out. And uh, if you're not in any physical danger, uh, it's more psychological, you know, assault that he was feeling. And he was able to encourage two other young ladies that were there going through the same process who had come to Christ. And so long story short, the dad shows up and the Marabu, the religious leader, throws the money back at his dad's feet. He said, get this guy out of here. Uh, referring to the young man. He said, since he's been here, I can't eat. I can't sleep. He said, I have no peace. He said, none of my spells are working. He said, get him out of here. This kid is demon possessed. And so um, his dad took him home and uh, ended up just an amazing story of when they finally came back to our city. I was able to sit in a year later on this young man being ordained as a pastor. He now pastors the church. And about two years after this whole incident, his dad came back to him and said, uh, we, we see that you're still, you know, being blessed and uh, you're, you're living, a, you know, you're, you're living a moral life. They assume when you become a Christian that you're going to become corrupted and do all kinds of wrong things. It's a misconception they have about Christ, true Christianity. And so they reopened the doors to him. He's able to go back to his family and uh, engage in conversation and things like that. So uh, just th those, that's one of many stories of young people that go through persecution uh, when they're saved here and, and what they face. And so 
for me, I just counted a great privilege to be able to serve with these guys and to, to, to stand alongside them as they serve the Lord. Mm. Wow. Yes, I appreciate that story and very eye-opening, yeah, to, to, the, to the needs of the world, the rest of the world, the majority of the world. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. So. All right, so question number six as we finish up, um, do you have any language or cultural blunders that you are willing to share with us? <laughs> I, I can't think of any big ones right off the top of my head. Um, I know when I first got here, here we speak two languages. French is the first, Wolof is the second. Um, we learned French in Quebec and uh, that was more structured. We went to a university, we had a private tutor. Uh, here it's not as structured for learning Wolof. You basically, you can get a tutor for about a year and then you just gotta learn it by interacting with people and, and uh, being out in the street and things like that. And so I do remember one time uh, when we were first here and I'm still trying to get my wall, you know, improve my wall off. And I'm able to speak and share the gospel in it and converse in it at a basic level. But of course, even, even when you're fluent in a foreign language, there's still context of different conversations, like on the street or stuff that you have a hard time grasping everything. I remember one time this older gentleman came up to me. I was walking down the street and uh, he was so excited to see me. And I was a little shocked. I didn't know who he was. And he just was going on and on in the native language here, Wolof. He's going on and on about just how great it was to see me again. And how was my family? And how were the kids? And at that time, I only had one child. And um, I, was, I was trying to think, who, you know, do I know this guy? Who is he? And he was calling me Dauda. David is my middle name. And uh, he kept calling me Dauda, which I know is, is David in Wolof. And I thought, well, he's calling me by my middle name. Like he must know me or something. And then I, as I'm conversing with him, I realize he thinks I'm the former missionary. There's a missionary a little bit older than I am uh, who was here before me. They left right before we got there. And we have a similar built. We look kind of the same, you know, and, and uh, to most people, all foreigners look the same anyways, you know. And so I realized into the conversation, he thought I'm this other guy, but I was already too far into the conversation to to say, wait a second, I'm not the guy you think I am. So, so I just kind of, you know, as much as I could and Wolof said, oh, it's great to see you again. And, you know, God bless you. I'm so glad to see you and <laughs> everything. So anyways, it's, uh, yeah, you, those things happen, but. Uh, uh, yeah, so true. Yeah, I, <laughs> we, we, everybody, we all look the same. And I, I appreciate that story because it, it rings true in a lot of places. So <laughs> thanks. Well, um, listen, Brother Mead, is there, if people want to stay up to date with your story, what is the best way that they can do that? So we try to keep updated on, it's our website, myuttermost.com. We have a blog there. I'm not as good as keeping up on keeping updates on that. Uh, we're pretty active on social media. Um, if, if you're on Facebook, you can just search my name, uh, Missionary Josh Mead. I think it's facebook.com slash missionary Josh Mead. You can find us there. Um, and as well as our ministry link is on there as well, but that's going to be in French and Wolof. So uh, might not help as much, but we are on Facebook. I, I think we're on Instagram, but I don't use that as much. Um, mostly Facebook is where we are pretty regular on keeping updates. And then our email as well. 
Uh, email is missionaryjoshmead at gmail.com. And I can add you to our list if anybody wants to get our updates. And we keep uh, regular updates as well. Great. Thank you. We'll have all that in the description link below. So thanks for sharing that with us. And really grateful that you were on today. Thanks for taking the time and telling us your story. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for uh, hosting me, inviting me. And it's been a privilege to uh, share a little bit about our country and what the Lord's doing here. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Indeed. So, for all of those that have joined us today, thank you so much for being with us. This is Josh Wagar with Brother Josh Mead, and you've been listening to the Missionary Micro Stories podcast. <laughs>